Hello, and welcome to Co-OpCast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. On this week's design discussion, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will discuss a board game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number something, 52. Lucky 52, number of cards in a deck, not counting the Jokers. Yes, and we've got a special guest tonight, Jason, from Every Night is Game Night. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Thank you for having me on. Well, welcome back. Man, this is like your... Because you've also been on with Colin and Steve. Is this like your fourth or fifth appearance on the podcast? Uh, I was once with you guys, once with Colin and Steve. And that was the... Colin and Steve one was a crossover one. Oh, okay, okay. So... So three episodes then, in a way, something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And well, you, you're still you're trouble, still definitely so the guest good. of honor. Like you, you have been on more than anybody who is not an official host of the show. So well done, sir. Well done. Well, you keep on making your guest the host of shows. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. We're going to assimilate you soon. That's right. Every night is co-op cast. It's like the it's like the Borg. You know, we're just going to slowly. Uh, this amorphous blob of podcast dumb on board games. I wouldn't mind that. I love my co-ops. I'm happy to be here, guys. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Happy to have you back. And today we are discussing Street Masters from Blacklist Games, designed by the Sadler Brothers. And before we get too far into it, just full disclaimer, we were sent this as a review copy. And Jason, how, how did you get your copy of Street Masters? It was a review copy as well. Oh, man, so we're all biased like heck. They were just giving them away, man. It's like, <laughs> dude, Street Masters! <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, Street Masters, do a deep dive review of that. And then our design discussion afterwards is going to be on player count and player balancing and how games kind of handle different player counts. So should be an exciting time. Absolutely. So before we get too far into it, I'm going to go into a little background on Street Masters. And when I was described Street Masters, I was told it was similar to, like, Street Fighter or Double Dragon or any of these things. But really, it's more of an arena game where you're all stuck in an arena and battling it out there. So the point of each game is to take down this big bad boss. And Mike's going to get more into the mechanics of how that's done. But each setting that you're in does have its own background. But you are just playing on one map. So when I originally pictured this game, I pictured like a dungeon crawl or moving like side scrolling across stuff. But really, it's a one map mission where all the stuff happens on that one map. But every mission you're going to play is completely different. So, Mike, why don't you get into the uh, general feel and gameplay? So this game was heavily inspired by and, and the Sadler Brothers will say this by Sentinels of the Multiverse, a favorite of mine. And you see a lot of similar things there. So you have modular decks, and you pick one fighter deck for each player. You pick an enemy deck you're going to go against, which, as Peter said, has a boss plus a bunch of minions and special cards. And then you pick a stage you're going to play on. And if you've played Sentinels, you know the environments. The stages here are a lot more involved. They generally determine a way for the enemies to win, so give you like some objectives you have to stop the enemies from achieving. But again, as Peter said, you have to actually defeat the boss. So you don't have an objective to achieve yourself for victory. You just have to prevent them from achieving theirs while attacking the boss and their minions. On your turn, you, in any order, can move up to three hexes. And uh, there's pretty much no terrain except for some stages. So generally you can move pretty freely. 
and you can use an action. Most common action is to attack, and every fighter starts out with a pre-existing attack card that they can use over and over again. Uh, but additionally, you can interact with things with your actions or move extra or gain defense. And then finally, you can play a card. And fighters have cards. Uh, most of their cards are play and discard, like they're a single effect, maybe doing an extra attack or something. But then uh, fighters will also have tactics that stay in play and give them uh, longer-lasting abilities. So that's how a player's turn goes. And just to rewind a bit, before you do that, a player will draw a card from the enemy deck, which will mostly spawn minions near you, but will uh, also sometimes give the boss permanent boost and that kind of thing. So after you've taken your turn, you activate all the enemies assigned to you, and they generally have pretty simple AI scripts, and they target the person closest to them. And then you get to draw a card at the end of your turn. Now, once all players have done this, so you each have drawn an enemy card, done your turn, activated your enemies, and drawn a card yourself, then you have an enemy turn, which is generally the boss activating, plus any other cards that happen to be in there based on the stage or upgrades he's earned. And then finally, you have the uh, the stage activating, which has like little things related to the objectives, and you draw a card there. So that's generally it. You get player turns with some enemy activation, boss turn, stage turn, repeat until the boss achieves their objective, until one fighter is defeated. The game ends immediately if one fighter is defeated, or until you have defeated the boss. Cool, great overview. So now we're going to get into our top five. If it's your first time joining us, welcome. Hopefully you joined in on episode 50. This is our first deep dive since then. So what we do is we talk about the top five things to know about the game, starting with number five, which we feel is the least important thing, and going all the way to number one, which is the most important thing we think you need to know about the game. Some of them are pros, some are cons, some are mixed, but that is our format. So Jason, why don't you get into it as our guest with your number five? All right. Well, okay. Street Masters. The reason why they these guys invited me on the show is so we reviewed Street Masters on my podcast. You know, we didn't do like the deep dive or anything, but uh, I gave it a pretty positive review. I pretty I was I was really enthusiastic about the game. So, but this so I'm really um, welcoming this chance to kind of do go a little bit deeper and talk about the stuff that I liked. And there is some stuff that I didn't like, including my number five. My number five is just a straight up. Pretty much a straight-up negative. So you mentioned before about the tile, and you mentioned about the tactical movements, like there's card play, and then the card play results in movement, and you have a separate movement. I like that. <laughs> I really like that part. That's good, especially in the early game when, like, you know, there's not a lot going on on the board, and it's like, okay, I can, you know, I can go towards the boss, I can go towards the objective, I can go towards the minion, whatever it is. But then in the middle of the game, the board starts to get really crowded, especially at four players. And then the, all the like the movement just kind of gradually goes away, and then by the end, you're basically not moving much at all. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, the boss may move three feet, and then it's like, okay, I'll use my move action, just move back up to the boss, and you know, so you get this, you get towards the end of the game, you get the kind of this boss zerg thing where you're just playing cards and hitting people, and I like tactical movement. Like I, I want if I'm gonna have a play a uh, dudes in a map game, I want to be able to feel smart about that stuff and i just feel like street masters especially towards the end because the main condition is always beat the boss then i just feel like man i just i wish that there was more you know i don't know how you guys felt about that i'll be talking about that later all right yeah i well uh, it's not on my list and i and i i disagree um to an extent uh i think some stages lend themselves to that more kind of depends on the objective 
But I'll be talking about tactical movement in a more positive way later. But yeah, I, I, I've had that experience with a few games, but I would not say it's like always the rule that there's not much movement at the end, at least for me. Okay. All right, Mike, what's your number five? My number five is a pro, and it's a mix of uh, the way the combat dice are handled and how guard tokens are used. So I mean, these are sort of related because they both give a feel of tactics and control, even in a game that's fairly random. So the dice I really enjoy, just to kind of give you a picture, these combat dice you roll to attack, they have hits on five out of six sides, so only one side does not have a hit, and then one of those five hit sides is an exploding hit, so you can roll it again and potentially just keep on going and building up hits. So first of all, I like the fact that you are very likely to hit. I prefer games where the predictability of like the odds are, is pretty consistent, and even on the miss side, you still get a guard token. And I appreciate games where it's not as much of an all or nothing, but you get still kind of a reward. So the randomness is not quite as galling and frustrating when things don't go your way. Mm-hmm. And that goes into the guard tokens. So you have tokens in three types, uh, kick, grapple, and punch. And attacks you make also have these types. And then there's also general damage and direct. There's always different kind of like things that interact with the defense tokens. But what it comes down to is the enemies will have certain defense tokens and you'll have defense tokens. And I like them in both cases because with the enemies, um, especially when you're playing multiplayer, you'll often have people who are better at different things. So my guy might be a good puncher while Peter's guy or girl might be a good kicker. So you can kind of like figure out which enemies you are best disposed to attack because they'll have a lot of one defense but not much of another. And then I also like how the defense tokens work for us because in most games, healing and defense is kind of one of the most boring things. But this game does it right because anytime you use a defense to block, it gets flipped to a power, which uh, lets you power up your character and get, like, super attacks after you power up enough. And it reminds me a lot of, uh, I know a lot of people didn't like Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition, but Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition made all the healing classes, like clerics and such, they would attack as well as healing. So they wouldn't, like, spend their whole turn in kind of a you know, null state wasting their turn, just casting a spell to heal somebody, they would still get to smack a monster and additionally heal. And I feel that, like, they kind of did the same thing with the guard tokens heal, except uh, the other way around. You stop the damage, but additionally boost your attack for later. You could do that in 5e. They got uh, the heal and the attack. I, I was too popular to drop. Oh, did, did they keep that idea? Yeah, I have 5th edition, but I haven't played it nearly as much. So I'm glad to hear that, because that was one of my favorite things from 4th edition. So yeah, I, I just like the way the probability is handled and the way defense is handled. Uh, better than, I think, a lot of kind of dungeon crawler and arena games. I did not put that down, but I definitely agree. Like, there's, it's a very smooth machine on top of everything that you're, you're doing. So like, you know, you roll... Uh, first of all, you roll, you always get something. You either get a defense token or a hit. And then you that defense token, which is normally boring, turns into the power. Then it turns into a mega attack. And then with that mega attack, you know, roll lots of dice and get get more defense tokens. Right. <laughs> and it just kind of like feeds into that feedback loop. And then it, it it lasts just long enough for the game to last. So, so right. it's not like this substructure or superstructural thing that just is hard to manage. Like, you know, once you get to the point where you're getting a whole bunch of tokens – of power tokens, you'll be able to launch your super attack basically every turn near the end sure, of the game. Sure, and that's cool. That, that I like the way that I like the way they did that. Yeah, it's it's got a good build to it. Yeah, it's funny when I first started looking through, I was having a hard time coming up with my top five. Then I realized there were like ten things I could have put in my top five, so I started combining things. And the dice mm-hmm. just fell off the list for me, so they didn't quite <laughs> make it. But I really like how the dice are done in the game too. I like the 
you know, the concept of having these three different things you're attacking on, and then you're going to be stronger or weaker at some of them. And uh, that does scale the difficulty a little bit. So if you are fighting someone, like the last guy I fought had all punch defense. Thankfully, I had a character that was mostly kick. If that character was all punch, I would have been probably very frustrated. But mm-hmm. in general, I like how it works. And if you, you know, you find a way around their system. And I think it adds to the tactical combat a bit too. Like, Hey, I'm not good against the boss. Let me take out these minions while you go work on him. All right, Peter, what's your number five? So my number five is the story packs. And I really debated where to put this. Cause this could have been anywhere from my number one to five. And I really think it was going to be number one or five. And so the reason I decided to leave it down here at number five, even though for me, it changed the complexion of the game more than anything else in the game, because You know, when we first played, we picked random characters on a random stage fighting against a random enemy. And the story didn't really come together in my mind, but with these story packs, they really did. And so it added a lot to the game for me. But at the same time, they recommend when you're playing to play in this arcade mode, which is just basically pick them randomly the way we did. I think they're even going to double down on it on the next expansion they come out with because they're going to have randomizers for you to be able to randomize it. But for me, I really liked what it added. So each hero has their own story pack. And then as well as, you know, you can take any heroes on any like grander story deck as well. So I I just like how they did this. I like how it added a little bit of story to what I was doing. And it also gave me more background on the universe that they have. And the way it works, they're just cards as well. And I'm going to get into this a little bit later too. But they are just cards and you read the first card and that's the first mission of the story. But it just gives you a little background and it tells you what stage to play and what boss to fight against. And so I I just kind of liked how they did that. They don't add a lot of rules to it. But they also give you a little bit of a sense of progression, too, as your characters level up throughout the story if you're doing the personal hero stories as well. I agree. Did not make my list, but I thought they were cool. They're not necessary. Like, I mean, uh, the personal ones are cool because you get the pack upgrades and it actually affects gameplay. The, the, the overall uh, story arcs felt like I was playing, you know, on five different maps. And it was cool, like, to read. You could tell they're action hero or action movie fans. Because they're, you know, they're super cheesy plots. Like you wake <laughs> up and you're, you know, you're you're tied up behind the chair and they're slapping you in the face. And it's like, all right, I've, I've seen this movie before. <laughs> and so I didn't get into the overall story ones, but I that the personal ones were actually pretty cool. So that was cool. yeah, and then that, that was kind of like a number six or number seven for me. I, I enjoy them too, but yeah, they they didn't quite make my list. All right, so Jason, what's your number four? All right, so number four, uh, we're going to the positive, uh, the environments and the stage decks. So Peter mentioned that this is basically Sentinels of the Multiverse on the yeah, on the board. Uh, the environment decks are actually my least favorite part of Sentinels, not because they're like inherently bad. I think they're very cool to add mixing, but I don't like the tracking they a lot of the decks create because a lot of those environment decks and Sentinels will like you know you play a card and that summons a card and they play a card and it summons a card and you 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 have valuable resources to waste in the boss. You're letting the environment just kind of grow out of control. It's just it just takes a lot out of the game. And I don't know, have you guys played Oblivion yet, the last expansion? I, I, I'm a huge Sentinels fan, and I have no desire to. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to get it for, like, the characters, I'm sure. But, yeah, I have I have no interest in playing what I've heard is a pretty difficult uh, thing to manage. Two environment decks. Are you serious? Ah. 
that is not great. And uh, all sorts of other tracking as well. This game, uh, and it does it differently. It, it's, it fulfills the same goal of mixing up, like if you can play the same boss and the same heroes, and the environments change, that actually does significantly change gameplay. But I like how they did it in the sense of, as opposed to like kind of building its own separate tableau, a lot of times the environment will either just do a one-shot effect and you just forget about it. Like, you know, the boss moves, you know, 10 things, he runs towards the door. Uh, or it'll put a card in front of a particular person into their personal tableau and only they have to care about it. And it's usually like a pretty simple effect. Or to like, um, I think some, some of them like buff the boss, like now, now he has a, a bulletproof vest or something like that. So really simple. <laughs> and that's how you, I think that the, if you're going to do some tracking, it should be hero villain. Like the, I don't want tracking in the environment. And I think they've found a way to, have the environment be impactful, but without all that overhead. So I was really uh, happy with that. All right, cool. Mike, you're number four. My number four is somewhat related to uh, what Jason was just talking about. And this is a mixed one for me. It's so not a full-on pro. I think there's great variety in the stages and the enemies and kind of how they interact with each other. Like some bosses run away from you and shoot you from afar. Some bosses like charge toward you. And when you combine that with the... The stages and some objectives requiring people to like escape, some objectives uh, requiring people to reach things. You get some really, really cool experiences, and and even playing the same stage with the same boss, I see like different things happen. On the negative side, it does lead to swinginess, and I would say more so in the enemy deck than in the stage deck, because. Um, the enemy deck definitely has cards that are way stronger than others. Like, a lot of times the boss upgrade cards are much stronger than uh, these, like, one-off events that just make somebody do a little bit of damage to you. So, it doesn't bother me a lot, and I, I it's probably, like, a little bit more of a pro in the mix, because I do really like the variety and the combinations. But at the same time, um, you know, just know that it's a swingy experience, and sometimes you're going to play and you're going to have a really easy time with the mission, just because of how things pan out. And sometimes you're going to have a really, really crushingly hard time. So just, just something to be aware of. Yeah, so my number four is one I kind of cheated on. And it's basically the same as what you guys are saying. I called it variability. Originally, it was boss packs. Then I was like, oh, and I like the fun mission ideas. And I was like, oh, and the characters are pretty variable too. So I just put it in one thing called variability. The thing I really like, and this is true in Sentinels also, but I really like when something is self-balancing so you can make certain things pretty powerful, so you can make your character's innate ability pretty powerful. You can give them more life and make their cards weaker or make their attack weaker. And so I like these self-balancing decks where you can do a lot of variability within the deck, and the same with the boss packs as well. And so, or, or even the missions. Some of the missions, kind of everything is set against you at the beginning, and then all the cards that come out from the mission itself are positive, and they help you achieve the goals of the mission. And so I, I kind of like these self-balancing mini packs where, you know, they can vary and, and be swingy, the way Mike was saying. So for me, that's a, the big pro. I like how just everything combines together to make a unique experience every time you play. We'll get to Mike's con side of that later on in one of my other ones. <laughs> All right. Foreboding. We're, we're getting lots of uh, previews of Peter's list later. Uh, Jason, what's your number three? Okay, number three, uh, I'm not going to say too much about it because I imagine you guys are on the same page, which is why the design discussion is about this. Uh, it is my biggest negative for the game. I've talked with Brady about that, you know, uh, pretty good. Uh, and it is the player scaling. 
Um, one players is really fun. Two players is probably the sweet spot for this game. Uh, three players, you're starting to get a little bit over, but four players is not. <laughs> I do not enjoy that. I don't enjoy it. Uh, unless I'm playing with experts. Like if I'm playing with, you know, the Saddlers and one of their wives or something. I yeah, don't yeah. know. <laughs> uh, and they could just like boom, 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 guide through. It, it is so much. It Because like, there's not a lot of uh, coordination, at least, you know, in the packs that exist currently. Uh, when you get to the end, like there's characters that literally, um, it feels like they play every card. Like Brandon is a guy that he has like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you play and then there's uh, these effects that on the bottom of each of his cards, yeah, like, you all, know, do all, all of his combos. effects. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my god and we're all sitting there like we can't help him you know and it's, they're just kind of doing it over and over again and especially if you get that situation where there's like you know the boss has lots of defense tokens or uh you know he's the brand is stuck on the other side of the board doing something but he's going through his combos anyway uh, it's it's not it, it, it i just i feel like the game scales really poorly i won't say too much about it because you, i guess we're going to talk about it all right mike so what's your number three yeah, so mine is, uh, again, related. I kind of combined the player scaling with uh, something else. It's, uh, I'm focusing on the AI and, like, the activations of stage cards and that kind of thing. So I generally like the enemy AI. I think with pretty simple mechanics, they get some very different effects from enemy to enemy. And they, they feel different, and, like, the enemy decks overall feel different. And no single enemy is, takes very long to activate, and similarly with the stage decks, like the activation abilities they have on there, you get like some really complex, like interesting things just by following through the text and doing what they say to do. You get like these really kind of cool, unique uh, experiences. So it's kind of related to my number four. That's the good side of it. I, I, I like how they did the AI, but I totally agree with Jason. We've mostly played one and two player, but with three and four player, it's just a lot longer to get through. And there's a good amount of text on all the cards you know, to get these these kind of cool AI and activation effects. But when there's a lot of text to read and keep track of, it, it's definitely a lot to handle. Now, each player has, like, the same amount, and you don't draw more enemy cards for, like, the boss or more uh, stage cards, depending on the player count. So it's not it's not terrible, but the game definitely, like, takes a lot longer with three or four players, um, is a lot more complicated to run with three or four players, has a lot more downtime with three or four players. So I, I like the AI, I like the activation, I like the unique stuff that happens with that, but mostly in a one or two player setting. So kind of the same as Jason, just a little bit of uh, some positives there as well. All right, cool. So now getting to my tactical discussion. My number three is, I think it's actually a fun tactical puzzle. I do agree with you. Sometimes it devolves later in the game where you're just sitting there punching or kicking in one area, but especially with low life characters, and not low lives, but characters with low life values <laughs> some bums especially with bums there, there's the some low lives in the game too <laughs> i mean with those characters that you know that aren't super high defense and that have a lot of mobility to them you're still having to like bob and weave and come in and out and really for me those are my favorite characters to play so it's always going to yeah. be a more fun tactical puzzle all the way to the end of the game i mean every game you're going to end with like one or two life left basically running in and out trying to trying to get that last hit or two on the boss so using your high mobility to do that so for me that is the most fun part of the game so I, I love the tactical puzzle. I love how the board works. I love that on some of the later stages, they add in some terrain, but it's not really that complicated. And so just changes up the puzzle. Like on the one with the conveyor belts, 
I try to position myself near the conveyor belts, and, and it's almost like a movie, right? Like where the bad guy comes up and he tries to kick you, doesn't realize he's standing on a conveyor belt, then he gets thrown into a buzzsaw. So, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that, what was that? That was Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Where uh, Indiana Jones was fighting the guy next to the airplane, right? And then he got a uh, yes, yes, know, where the airplane attacked was by the road, the the propeller. Yes. Anyway, sorry. Continue, Peter. <laughs> Yeah, so I just like how you can have that action movie sense of tactics and running around. Now, not every character is going to play that way because the characters are so variable. And if you're not into big tactical puzzles, then you can choose characters that are more right for you. The one thing I do wish is that they gave you more information. I'm sure we'll talk about this later. On just the power level of the characters. Yeah, yeah. Or, or even what their tactics are. You know, this character is a defensive character. This character is very attacky. You know, a lot of video games do a good job of giving people, like, classes, even if they're not a specific class per se. But mm. just something to let you know what kind of a character is. Because if you have a specific play style that you like, you know, I wish I could just figure out which characters, especially as you get past the base game, there become a lot of characters. I wish I knew which characters did what, so that way I could just kind of play my favorite class of character. Yeah, like a video game will clue you in with the visual. Like, you know, if you're playing Zangief, you know you're just doing pile drivers and punching people. <laughs> and if you're playing Chun-Li, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> all the kicks and stuff like that like you're, it, it says so it says a lot with the just the visual and the the movements of it the, it you don't have that here and even if they're each character has like unique art uh but i that that doesn't tell me what they do you know um there's a there is a chun type character but it doesn't quite tell me what it does you know um, right so yeah I, I agree all right jason what's your uh, number two all right, so um, this is where I'm gonna give I'm gonna hit you guys with one a one two punch of positivity. In fact, these things are so they're so positive for me, like they're so important. I, I made it kind of one A one B. So I'll go with one of them first. I really don't know which one I like better because I like them both. I'm gonna um, I'll use the word comboliciousness. Like it, this game, the combos in this game are really amazing fun to do. And that it is it is purely part of the reason why I just got really got into it. Like that's what I play Sentinels for. Like I, I play Sentinels to like you know slowly build up a character, and you know I dink and dunk and dink and dunk, and all of a sudden <laughs> my last couple of turns, boom, 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 you know my, my you know, ongoing and this and that. There you know I, you know, uh, and it's just like you just feel clever. Like um, I think it's the Dukes of Dice podcast that talks about like you know what does a game do? Does this game make me feel clever? And there is some really slick clever card play that you can pull off. Where, you know, you, you, you realize that you put a card in a discard a couple turns ago, and then you have a card that can fish that out of a discard, and boom, boom. You know, it, I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. And the first time I played of it, it was very obvious that that's exactly what this game was, and it just it made me happy. So it can get, a, again, it, it works against it at four players because everybody's yeah. firing off those combos. And that is not cool <laughs> to just watch three other players fire all that stuff off because these are complicated. Like these are multi-card stuff. But if you're low player and you're just kind of running through your deck and you've set things up properly, that's an awesome feeling. So definitely home run right there for me. Yeah, and that's, I think, what I meant with the tactics part. You know, not just the tactics of the board movement, but also the combos as well. So, yeah, I agree. Love it. I'll come to that uh, in a little bit, but my number two, I, I kind of cheated a little bit for this because I've already mentioned some of this before, but I feel that the game is an excellent value and has a lot of stuff in it and a lot of gameplay in the base box. And I will say that Blacklist sent us like all the expansions that are currently released, 
But for the review, I, I basically kept myself to just the core game. Like, I, I looked through some of the cards, but I didn't play any of the expansion missions or any of that kind of stuff. I just wanted to be sure. I, I haven't even core. come close to touching that yeah, stuff yeah. yet. There is so much stuff. Thank you, yeah. guys. So, so just to give you an idea, like, you have six uh, different fighters, and they play totally differently. Like, totally different combos, like uh, Jason was just talking about. Like, very different builds, very different feel to them. I played all six of them, and they all just are super cool. Like, every single one of them is fun to play in a very different way even better than sentinels i would say because sentinels the core game some of those heroes are boring <laughs> um looking Bunker. at you absolute zero uh. oh my gosh <laughs> yeah you have eight stages and i will say a couple of the stages are kind of similar like somewhat reminiscent of each other but still they're pretty unique and some of them are crazy different like and, and super thematic really make me think of like my favorite 80s and early 90s action movies um and the enemies are super different too like the, there's a there's six different bosses in the game, and each of them is very different. And then they have these entire different decks, and the minions are different, and the special cards are different. You know, you get a guy who's, like, shooting with a shotgun every turn. You get uh, this guy with huge arms that just charges at you and has ridiculous amounts of life, and you can't even escape from him. You get uh, this guy who gets uh, these guns and rocket launchers. And, they uh, like, everything, it's just a lot of stuff. And then, you know, Peter mentioned it, but you throw in that every character has their own unique story and upgrade cards they can get. And there's two different like little campaigns. And again, they're they're not like adding too much gameplay stuff, but they're like little storylines to progress through and they have branching story paths. It's, it's, it's a lot of stuff. Like I'm super happy that I have the expansions, but if I just had the core game, I think I would be very satisfied as well. And I'll say, because this didn't make my list that I did play with a lot of the expansion stuff and it's very easy to integrate. I mean, it's really just more characters, more bosses, and more stages. So, especially if you're just randomly doing it, it's not a problem at all to do that. Now, I will say, I don't know that the expansion stuff is balanced as well Mm. as the base game stuff, because, you know, Mike and I kind of disagreed on some of the balance on some of the stuff, and when we talked about it, a lot of the missions I was talking about did come from the expansions. So, I think that... The base game is probably a great place to start, and when you're ready for more stuff, it's easy enough to add in, although I wouldn't expect the same level of balance as in the base game, at least from my experiences so far. And mainly this, the stages you're talking about, right? Not as much the enemies and the characters? Correct. Yes, mostly the stages. All right, so let me get to my actual number two, though, which is everything is on the cards. Now, I think this is a good thing and a bad thing. So what I mean by that is the basic rules are pretty basic. And once you know those, you can pretty much play every scenario, and this is what makes the scenarios very different, is that all the information for the scenarios on the cards. Now, this is both a pro and a con. The good is, you don't have to look at the rule book very often, but the bad part of it is, sometimes these cards can be unclear, so you may have to do some looking up online or in rules forums, things like that. Because sometimes, just one word difference. So, for example... In Mike's playthrough that he did on the One Stop Co-op Shop channel, one word difference made a huge difference. So when Mike put this one card in the staging area versus the enemy staging area, it made a big difference to how the game would normally play out. And so little things that are pretty easy to miss can really affect your experience in the gameplay. And Mike was asking me earlier if I played a mission correctly, and I had to look back through the cards because I wasn't sure that I had. And so I do like that you're not looking stuff up. I do like that when you get to a card, you just do what's on that card, and then you move to the next card, and you do what's on that card. I really like all that. 
but sometimes it can be unclear. And also there's a lot of text on each card because a card can tell you what happens when you put it down. And then it can tell you what happens when it activates. And then it can tell you how to interact with it. And so it just becomes this wall of text sometimes on some of the cards. And that can be overwhelming for someone like me. I know it's easier for players like Mike. But if you've heard me before, I don't like a lot of reading during my games. I want to stay engaged in it. And sometimes when I'm having to read through text on three different cards, it kind of takes me out of the gameplay a little bit. So that's my number two, both a pro and a con. I really like this in concept that all the rules are basically on the cards and they can change pretty easily between the missions. Yeah, it is interesting. I've, I've heard the Sadler brothers say that they wanted to like do Sentinels, but simpler. It's not that. And not I don't think it's more complicated than Sentinels necessarily, especially like some games of Sentinels, but I think it's, I, I think they achieved a similar level with a board, <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this is a sidestep. Like it's a, it's a remix, yeah, so yeah, to speak. It's exactly. not, a, it's not a, a better thing or a worse thing. yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Jason, your your other number one, as it were. My other number one. Peter alluded to it when he was describing the the enemy on a conveyor belt, you know, and you know, kind of shifting into you know in and out of position, and everything. Uh, it's the theme integration. So I think the Saddler is. I really love that they care so much that that you know an action like represents you know something that you can i can imagine so like you know i'm kicking or like you know when i play combo i'm not just playing card 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 i'm doing punch punch kick uppercut you know which is just like the video game uh or there's those items there's like one shot items you can just like play uh the item is cash and the cash you throw it at a enemy and the enemy stops because you can imagine you know throwing cash on the floor like in a movie and i and it's easier in this type of game because it's based on video games and movies there's like, it's a, a there's a suspension of disbelief you know <laughs> not, <laughs> yeah like like you're not actually going to eat a turkey dinner in the middle of a fight yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like you know drink a soda and all of a sudden you can like you know do twice as much as you can do like it's, <laughs> it's a little silly uh but you can imagine it you know like you throw cash on the floor and of course they're going to the the enemy's going to like pause pick it up and cuz he's a mercenary like it, it's and just the moves there's another stage deck. I actually don't like the stage with the cryogenic freezing. I just think there's it's a big action sink. But there's a there's a stage where there's other other uh, mobs from other decks that are cryogenically frozen and they just kind of like release once in a while depending on a timer. And I think like just like the idea of that is cool. I love that that the system accommodates that and I can that makes sense. You know, and the way I interact with that just makes sense. I don't like to speak to your point, Peter, how there's a lot of text in the cards. I think the thematic integration does a lot to kind of teach the game where it's intuitive. You know, uh, a, a lot of it is intuitive. So like if I, you know, if someone has a bunch of feet on their, you know, kick tokens on their thing and, and I have a bunch of punch, I don't, I can just like see that. They're like, okay, um, they're they're defending their low now i'm gonna just you know crack him across the jaw or like you know he's he has his guard up i'm just gonna kick him in the nads or something you know i can see it and it makes a it does a lot of the the learning work it makes it a lot of fun i it's the other reason why i think this game is just really really fun cool all right mike what's your number one so I also have kind of a, a one-two punch of pros, and my number one is basically the same as Jason's previous very high point, and that is uh, the combos, although I also added in the tactical play of the board because I, I do find it more interesting usually. But yeah, the combos are amazing. They're very unique per player. I feel extremely excited playing the game, especially in the mid to end point. In my playthrough in One Stop Co-op Shop, like at the end of the mission, I... <laughs> 
I did like a few combos and took out like three guys in a single turn, and I just felt ridiculously cool. It's just super sweet. It's awesome. Yeah. And we didn't mention these much yet. I think Jason mentioned them for a second. But there's, like, these boxes you can pick up. And also, every time you defeat a minion, you get these little loot cards. And if you add those in, because they have cool abilities. I remember, uh, not in my playthrough, but in another one of my early games, like, the boss was about to defeat a uh, a guy I had to protect. And I, I used, like, a stink bomb to drive him back three spaces. So he's next to somebody else. Then I ran up to them and did a combo attack and hit both of them. And then I sucked somebody else next to me and, like, took his attack so he wouldn't hurt somebody that I was trying to protect. And... Yeah, it's just, like, really cool stuff happens, and I feel awesome playing the game. And the theme is in there, too. Like, I probably should have had themes somewhere on my top five, but I, I definitely feel like I'm living an action movie mm-hmm. more than any other game I've ever played. And now that that's a common, like, theme people are trying to achieve, but still, this game definitely, like, makes it come to life really, really well. Well, like, and it's, like, I've never been a superhero, you know, but Sentinels of the Multiverse comes as close as possible. No, it does. Like, making me feel like a pretty awesome, you know, like, if I'm the scholar and I have, like, all these, like, things I have to maintain, you know, because I'm, my brain is so big, or (laughs) if if I'm, like, you know, parse and I'm, like, scanning the field and getting info, like, it's this, you know, this is a card game, if there's a, but, like, I kind of can get into that headspace. You know, and I think that's what, what where it is. It's like so that's what Sentinels does the best. That'd be like my highest. If we did Sentinels, that would be my number one. Yeah, so yeah. we don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's the same as true here. And and like I and like you were saying before, it's not simpler and it's not like better or worse. I just feel like it's a remix, and and they both do it really well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Peter, I I, know, I feel like you have a, a con left because you, you were alluding to some stuff I think you haven't mentioned yet. <laughs> yeah, and my number one is. A- pretty big con for me and for jerry who you guys have heard about before you know we played it together and my number one is the scaling issues so Mm -hmm. and it it mostly has to do with player counts usually low player count i've had more fun playing this solo than with other players and i'm not much of a solo player so that'll tell you something about the experience as solo but i think it goes both ways and i know you guys haven't played some of the later missions I think they did a good job playing back some of the earlier missions. I think they did a good job of scaling the missions up based on player count. Like, things would be, you know, spawn more per player. But in some of the later player count missions I did, they spawned an equal number of things, regardless of number of players. And so, yes, everybody has their one enemy they're spawning a turn, but then they'd spawn four more enemies on the board. And those four more one health enemies still take one attack to to get rid of and it spawned the same number whether you were playing with one player or four players and so i Mm. literally played a three-hour solo game of this last night just running around the board kiting them around (laughs) until i got big area of effect attacks off so i can get rid of them i ended up winning at the end which i didn't think was even going to be possible in a one-player game but then the very next mission i played there were these bombs on the board And I was playing through as a story campaign, so I started with a rival, which we didn't really talk about, but they do have allies and rivals that you can get to, and rival's basically just an extra enemy that starts on the board. They're tougher than a normal little minion, but they're not nearly as hard as a boss either. So I started with a rival on the board, and then, of course, I spawned an enemy on the board, and then the boss was on the board, and so this mission, you had to prevent three of the five bombs from going off, and right away on the first turn, I had like three bombs already armed. And they're far apart from each other. So as a single person, there was no way for me to get to all the bombs and disarm them. 
by the time they started blowing up. And so I didn't feel that mission scaled very well either. So for me, I think it goes both ways. I think some missions were designed to play at higher player counts, and some games, you know, work better at lower player counts. And so mm-hmm. I kind of wish they would say that somewhere. My biggest issue with the game, and I do like the game a lot, and so we're going to get into that with final thoughts, and maybe I'll just go right into my final thoughts here. I do like the game a lot, and it's amazing for as many things as I perceive as flaws in the game. I don't like reading this much in a game. I don't like all the text on all the cards and having to refer back and forth between cards. I don't like the fact that with multiple players, there's a lot of downtime between my turns because all this stuff's going on in... So for me, I don't know why I like the game as much as I do. All I can say is the gameplay is fun. I I like that, but there are a couple of issues that I wish they would address, and you know they have a chance, because I know it's getting reprinted, and I know their expansion's coming out. The couple of things for me I wish they'd fix, the heroes are not balanced. So some heroes are way better than others, and I wish they'd just tell you that. Sentinels and Multiverse does that. You know, they tell you which ones are the more powerful heroes and which ones are harder to play with. And that's fine. I don't mind that. You know, you guys have heard me enough to know that I don't mind when there's different power levels, especially in a co-op game. I think it's good because then more experienced players can play with harder characters where newer players can play with the easier characters, but they don't tell me anywhere what that character is as far as difficulty. Same thing with bosses. Like, the bosses are very different as far as power level, and and I wish they would just tell you that, because sometimes we go in and we just get our butts wiped in, like, two minutes. And then other times, it's like you have these great games that go really well and really long, and then I'll play against that other enemy again, and I'm like, nope, yep, he's still kicking my butt every time. (laughs) Again, I don't mind different difficulty levels in the enemies and the heroes, but I wish they told you somewhere. Because I've introduced the game to people now, and sometimes we just don't have a fun game, and their first experience is very negative, because it's just a challenging combination of scenario and boss and, you know, maybe one of our characters was underpowered. And so I just, if you're going to do that, I have no problem with it. Just tell me. Tell me what's good. Tell me what's bad. That way I can make the decision as far as how much difficulty I want to have in the game. So that's my biggest thing overall is I like the game. I have fun with it 99% of the time I play it. But there are going to be those games where it's just not a fun experience because of one of these issues that I mentioned. Yeah, and I will say I know that they are doing that right now. I think they're going to have those in, like, the second edition. But I could be wrong. It might be, like, in the expansion that you get the cards that have all the, like, difficulty levels. But in, in some way that will be available. And I imagine um, even if you even if it's only in the expansion, not in the second edition... I imagine they'll like probably provide a PDF or have a list so that even if you own the first edition, you know like what you're what you're looking at. Because I I totally agree with you, Peter. Yeah, I mean, so I was thinking about this, and I think this will kind of lead into the whole discussion of player scaling. So my favorite, one of my favorite games of all time, and I know you guys are you're gonna faint when I say this, but it's Mage Knight. I love Mage Knight. I love Mage Knight at one, and I love Mage Knight at two. I despise 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 (laughs) mage knight at higher even two is pushing it but i have i have to have an experienced person with me so i you know it's it's a darling i love that game so why and i'm okay with it and and it's still my number two game of all time i'm I'm okay with that game not scaling properly why am i more more forgiving of mage knight than of street master street masters i love it i'm keeping it i'm looking forward to the rest the rest of the content but the four player really bothers me and it's like Okay, so Mage Knight is a puzzle, and I like the fact that I can just sit there and just 
puzzle out my turn. Nobody's bothering me or, or with a partner puzzling it out. And it's, you know, it's very rich and rewarding that way. This game is not a, not a complicated game. It's a, you know, it's a game, it's a fun time, you know, where we're playing an action movie crying out loud. And I want to be able to celebrate that in a bigger group, you know, like this is a game where you want to, you know, go bring that to your game night and just have a really great time with a lot of folks, you know, big laughs. And I I just don't, I feel a barrier there. Like I can't bring this to like, you know, uh, a bunch of people and because like you know, because I brought it like to play people who love co-op games, and they're just like they're sitting there watching one person fire off their combos, and it's like, ugh, you know. So I I I think they're gonna try. So um, like what they're working on, just as a, a preview, is they're working on these mission tokens that you can get, so that you can be more active between turns. Like you can kind of like they work as support tokens, so you can kind of play out of turn. So I don't know if it addresses the time length, but at least it addresses the downtime. Mm-hmm. That might make a big difference. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, you know, I mean, they're they're, they're going to be on the show or every day's game night, and I'll ask them about all this stuff, and we'll see what they say. So I'm actually glad I'm on, on with you guys because then I can kind of take some of these criticisms and ask them the questions. Uh, but yeah, you know, so I hope they fix it, and if they do fix it, then they have a real then it's a real gem. But I still like it at one and two, so I like it so much at one and two that I still can give it a positive recommendation overall because the combos and the theme integration in particular are awesome. All right, Mike, let's hear it. What's your uh, final thoughts? Yeah, so I'm probably I, I, I echo a lot of what Jason said. I would say I'm probably even a little bit more positive about the game. Now, full disclosure, I am a huge fan of Sentinels after not being a fan at first. Like Sentinels has, is one of my top ten games at this point. Street Master is in my top 10 as well now. Like, very quickly, it has achieved that status. But with a lot of caveats. Like, I think this is a, a game that will will be amazing for some people and might fall flat for others. But uh, for me, I adore the game with one or two players. I don't really want to play with three or four players, but I, I, most of my gaming is solo or two-player these days. So it's not a problem for me. But again, if you, like, only play games three or four players, I think until we see what they do with the expansion, maybe, like, buy this with caution. But, yeah, I I love the play of this. I love the theme of it. I think about it a lot. Like, I want to be playing it right now. I had to let Peter borrow my copy so that he could get more plays in and, like, you know, get a, a better idea of, like, how to review it. And and I've, like, been annoyed the entire week that he's had it because I've, I've wanted to play it this whole time and I haven't been able to. To be fair, this was a strategy by me to get some more work done on our games, so it's worked out pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I have been. I've been I, I like revising the rule book and, and designing cards for our games. So m- maybe it's smart. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, I've stayed up until like two a.m. several times just playing the game. Like again, after I'd already played it once. You know, I've only owned it for I guess like three weeks or something, and I've played it like twelve times already. Yeah, it, it's it's super super awesome for me. Like it, it, as I said in my number one, like it just makes me feel smart and excited to play, and I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface of the content yet, especially with the expansions. Very similar feel to Sentinels. So, but if, the caveats. Um, again, if, you, if you're if you only going to play with four players, I probably would wait or hold off or see for this one. If you didn't like Sentinels at all, I think this is similar enough that you probably will have some issues with this, so buy with caution there. And, you know, if you're like me and you don't, if you play solo a lot and you don't mind kind of running games and dealing with a lot of like AI things and reading a lot of text. I think you could really, really, really love the game. But if uh, you're more like Peter and, and that's kind of problematic for you and annoying for you, then again, like approach with caution. 
So this one totally hit the sweet spot for me. One of my top 10 co-op games of all time. I love it. I want to play it right now. But I totally recognize <laughs> that it's not great at higher player counts, at least yet. And uh, I totally recognize that it's not going to hit for everybody. Like something like Spirit Island, I'm pretty much like, hey, if you like co-ops, buy it. I enjoy this game like near the level I enjoy Spirit Island, but I, I can't as universally recommend it. I think it does have some uh, more more issues. I agree. Sweet spot. That's the best word for it. It hits yeah. my sweet spot as well. I am a little bit traumatized by my experiences with <laughs> four players. I've had people going, I'm not playing this again. Uh, but yes, total sweet spot game. Can't wait to see what they do. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. It shouldn't be in my sweet spot. And like I said, my top two things were cons. So it's not, you know, definitely not in my top 10. But at the same time, I was up till 2.30 in the morning playing it last night, too. So and with it and with a terrible mission and you kept on going <laughs> and I kept on going because I wanted to see if I could get past it and I love that tactical combat and that's why you know the tactical fun puzzle part was higher for me I think you guys were calling it something different but I really enjoy if I get a right character for me and something that really is in my wheelhouse of stuff I like to do this game's a lot of fun and I think with some tweaks it could really elevate itself to you know a, a full time top ten game for me and you know, others as well. And we'll talk about some of the strategies right now as we get into our discussion about uh, player scaling and how to do that in games. Segway, sweet, like a pro. <laughs> so I, I want to start this <laughs> off, if you all don't mind. Sure, sure. So there, there's a big difference in how some games scale for players. And I was trying to think of like a good metaphor. And this one's not perfect. It's not that, that illustrative, but I think it still kind of makes the point. So if you think of a game as trying to count up to 20... Some games will scale their players by just dividing those 20 numbers among the players. So I count five, Jason counts five, Jerry counts five, Peter counts five, and we reach 20. Mm -hmm. Some games, though, will multiply it to 40, will multiply it to 60, will multiply it to 80. As an example, Pandemic, the game is generally around the same length, whether it's one or four players. Like, there are differences in how easy it is to get combos and how much board coverage you have. But, like, that player deck is running out, except for the events, at basically the exact same rate. So the game shouldn't take, like, an extra hour to play with four players unless you're doing something wrong. Whereas a game like uh, Arkham Horror LCG or Street Masters, they basically multiply everything in the game by the number of players. Instead of dividing, like, the same consistent deck among the players... And a big difference you get with this is that in a game like Pandemic, I will feel like I have contributed less to the cause overall. I will get fewer turns because the number of turns played is consistent, but I have a smaller proportion of them. And that can be a good thing because uh, the games like tend to last the same amount of time, but it can be a bad thing because I might not feel like I actually did as much and made as many choices. In a game like Street Masters Arkham Horror, other ones that just multiply it straight up by the number of players... I feel like I'm getting that full game experience uh, and not like feeling like I'm like kind of being shortchanged in my choices, but at the cost of the game length multiplying sometimes drastically and uh, having much more downtime. So I thought that was like a good place to start, like this big divide between do I divide up the number of choices so you don't do as much, but the game is quick, or do I just multiply the entire experience but maybe make the game take a really long time? So I'm glad you actually you, – you exactly hit on when Peter first suggested – I don't know if it was either of you suggested the topic. Uh, you hit on exactly the two differences. And the way I kind of thought of it was there are games where all of the players 
basically stay at the same power level the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like you might be gathering stuff, but you're spending it. So like in your game, Salvation Road, it's 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 a pandemic-ish game where you know, and, and pandemic does this too, where you don't get better. You know, like you you might be in a position where you have an awesome turn, but it's not because of anything you did right. in your person like it's just the board you know you you played the board technically really well so like in those type of games you can you can get away with giving players less turns because there's a lot more kind of a lot more of the game kind of happens above the table like you know the coordination is there you go here i'll go there you go and like you know so you may get less personal turns but it's okay because it's the same guy you can't do that in a game like Street Masters because your player improves. So like a game, you know, games like Arkham Horror, Eldritch Horror, or, or LCG, like you have to, like if you give them less turns, then they're not going to improve to do awesome things at the end. Like that's what the, that's the point of improving. So you have to give them the same amount of turns in order to be able to get to where they want to be and, and feel awesome. I want to treat these as two entirely separate discussions. Like, you know, games where you know the players don't improve and play and games where players do because i feel like the fix for both of those things is radically different because there's radically different things that the players are getting out of either of those types of games well well funny you mentioned it though we have a game coming out that takes that problem and the game is all about leveling up so we have characters where you're starting very very weak and you're leveling up to be very strong by the end of the game and that's one of the pros of the game is you're leveling really quickly so what we had to do to scale that game, because we didn't want to multiply the time by four, was we started you with a little bit of a bonus in higher player count games. So we started you partway down that progression rabbit hole. Now at the end of the game, you're not going to be as strong as you would in a two-player game, but it balances out because you have a little bit more power early and you have a, a little bit less power late. So it kind of balances out in the long run. So maybe you get like a little bit of a head start, but then the game kind of catches up to you in in higher player counts. So I do think there are ways to do it, even in games where you're leveling up and progressing. And yeah, I mean, that's exactly the problem we were trying to solve when we were working on that game. When I will say um, a genre that really drops the ball usually, in terms of what you were saying, Jason, and what you were just saying, Peter, where they do have a major progression in characters, but they don't... (laughs) <laughs> they don't like make the game uh, twice as long or whatever is cooperative deck builders mm-hmm. have a major issue with this legendary encounters is terrible with this like the game is so much easier like they do a little bit of a balance but it's not enough you just add a few extra cards so the game lasts a tiny bit longer and you get a little bit more time but uh, yeah legendary encounters five player is almost impossible in all the forms I've played of it and like two player is much much easier and even Aeon's End, which I think is a better designed deck builder, I think also has that exact problem because you are just not leveling as much, but the enemy is still like that same consistent like, difficulty. So each of my turns in Aeon's End is weaker in a four-player game than in a two-player game, and the game is tougher because of it. In fact, the only cooperative deck builder I've played that completely overcame, or almost completely overcame, that I don't want to say completely, is uh, Assault on Greyport, which is a, a kind of small one. It's based on the Red Dragon Inn theme. But in that one, uh, how they fixed it is everyone gets these coins they can uh, buy upgrades with. And whenever you like advance to the next stage, you just get to spend all your coins immediately no matter what. So everyone is upgrading the exact same amount through, you know, kind of like Peter was saying, you can play around with the progression by player count. 
But yeah, just because deck builders are all about your deck becoming more streamlined, having more combos, having more powers, it's a really tough one to balance correctly when it's a cooperative one. Mm-hmm. And Dragonfire tried to fix that by giving you a little bit of upgrade to your deck at the beginning also in higher player count games. But they failed. <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, I'm not a big fan of Dragonfire, but I didn't think it worked. I, I think it's another one that like, you know, it's like Legendary Encounters. Like they thought they were balancing it, but they didn't really. Right. Okay, so let me ask you guys this question. So, I, I think we're so I think we're talking about games where you increase in power, right? We're gonna let's just take kind of pandemic. And that's a whole different thing. Do you agree that having less turns and that you know where players don't increase in power, do you guess that's fine, right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm sorry. I totally agree with your premise. I think it was really well stated. What, what, I, what I was saying is that games have tried to have the best of both worlds. And usually they fail, <laughs> is basically <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So, like, how do you how do you manage that the that that thing? So, like, or, or how do you manage the player scaling with 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 the fact that people players improve in the game? Right? Well, I, I have the exact way to do it. That's my preferred way, and it's exactly what we're doing in uh, Spare Parts, our, our current like main design project right now. And that is uh, simultaneous play. Mm-hmm. And not everyone loves simultaneous, but, you know, uh, n- not to use our own game, look at Sp- uh, Spirit Island. Spirit Island has amazing progression of uh, characters. You know, you get, like, new uh, power cards, you uh, remove the tokens, so you're getting more power per turn, you can play more cards per turn. And uh, the enemies are becoming more complicated, and they're getting more stuff on the board. But it all works, and I'm not going to say the player time is identical like solo compared to four player there's more to consider there's more to look at you got to talk to each other more mm-hmm. but you're certainly not multiplying the game time by four when you play with four as opposed to one because of that simultaneous play you still get a good progression and you can still talk to each other but because everyone's doing it at the same time it's not a straight up just downtime death because you've multiplied the game that was an hour to be four hours long yeah, and I so I'm glad you mentioned that, like the simultaneous. But I think of like real time games that just kind of like bake it in. Sure, that you know that like because a, a game of Space Alert is always you know however however long a game of Escape is always however long, and it sol- I mean it creates other problems. Sure, <laughs> but at least it solves the scaling problem. So like the thing you mentioned before about Spirit Island, though, like not only is the simultaneous play there, there's the coordination. You know, so yeah. maybe the game is longer. But it doesn't feel longer because you're engaged more. So, you know, because you have your fast spells and your slow spells. So you can say, okay, I'm going to launch this fast spell, which is going to buff your big tsunami thing. And then you're going to push these characters here and I'm going to use my slow spell. So you can kind of layer stuff upon and your that whole planning phase is engagement in the game. So you don't even notice that the game is longer. Well, because you're all involved in that. And that's the key to that. And one of the other benefits is that if you are a more experienced player, you're going to go through that part faster than someone who's slower. And then if they have questions, you can help them out and answer their questions during that part. So not alpha game them, but really just help them, you know, if they have any questions as far as rules go, am I doing this right? That kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Because the more experienced player is going to get done with that action planning part of it a little bit quicker. And so the way we've done it, though, also helps increase interactivity. So imagine Street Masters, if you could pull a character three spaces closer as part of your combo, and then I could punch him because now he's closer and in my range. Right. So that it, not only that simultaneous play, and again, we're not talking real time, we're talking simultaneous, not only that simultaneous play 
decrease your feeling of downtime because you were always involved. But what it also did is allowed you to combo even more than you would normally be able to because now you are acting at the same time as everybody else and you can do things to help each other. And if you're not, let's say at some point you're all the way on the opposite side of the board from each other, that's okay too because now you're doing it at the same time at least. And because you're not affecting each other, it doesn't matter because you're both doing things at, at the same speed. And so, you know, it works in both situations, whether you're actively helping each other and it takes a little bit longer to do, but you're both actively involved, or whether you're opposite sides of the world from each other, and at least that way the time speeds up. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say there are, I don't want to, you know, talk about simultaneous play as some kind of like magical panacea for all games ills. <laughs> Spirit Island is exceptional because you are so tied to your own game board until like mid to late game where you start really uh, interacting with each other's boards and doing stuff on each other's boards, which lowers the chaos that can happen with real-time or simultaneous games. You know, in real-time games, the chaos is like sort of what you're <laughs> what you're signing on for. Like if you play five-minute dungeon and you don't have chaos, you're not enjoying yourself probably. Right. But like with, with our game, we're trying to figure out, you know, how to make it not frustrating to play off each other and like that kind of thing. Um, and... You know, I, I would love, uh, I've considered this, like, I'd love to create a, a variant simultaneous play for Street Masters to fix the three to four player problem in the downtime. But I can imagine that being, like, a little bit of a mess sometimes, like, you're messing with each other's actions, and I'm going to attack somebody, but you already killed him with your attack, and that kind of thing. I think one thing you can do with Street Masters, though, is I think you can draw your threat card. So at the beginning of your turn, you're going to draw a threat card anyway. And part of the problem with Street Masters is until you draw that card, you don't really know how to plan out your next turn until you see what happens. But I think if you draw that kind of while the other person's going, as long as you're not now actively telling them what to do based on that threat card, I think you could do that and start at least planning your turn out a little bit more than you normally would be able to. And so for me, I know that's what we started doing kind of toward the end of some of our two-player games, is doing not exactly simultaneous, but hey, you're activating the enemies now, that's fine. I'm going to put this threat card down and start thinking about what I'm going to do on my next action. Uh, I mean, it still doesn't really address the the issue. Like you were talking before, Peter, I wanted to come back to it because that's kind of interesting about how you guys have this game where you're creating characters that are leveling up, right? So let's say at a four-player game, they start at level one, and they level up to level 10. And then in a two-player game, they start at level three, you know, just to throw out random numbers. Yep. They're a little bit more powerful, and then they go up to, like, you know, level eight or nine or, you know, whatever. So I think in Street Masters, because it works so well solo, they start you at, you know, a pretty decent level of power. And they let you shoot up from there. And then so they just – they didn't adjust that at all. You know, Like if you start at level three, I think at, at one, two, three, and four in Street Masters. And so would it, would it have been more beneficial for you to start a little bit weaker in a, in a larger player game? Like with less resources, less cards, you know, uh, or something like that? Or would, is that, would that have been a way to fix that? Or No, I think it does the opposite. I mean you're, you're looking at different things. Again, it's the question of whether you are – Moving the goalpost, you know, like Street Masters, the boss has health multiplied by the number of players. In that case, let's say that Street Masters was simultaneous, the players can still progress the exact same power level because the boss still takes all of them working the same amount of time to kill, as opposed to Pandemic, where, again, the player deck doesn't get any bigger. Well, yeah, imagine, for example, though, if the boss had the same amount of life. So the boss had 20 life regardless of number of players. 
Yeah, that would be totally different. Right, then you can't get to his higher player level. Then you'd have to start things lower off, as you're saying, or right. start it a little higher but not let you progress as far. So so that's what I was talking about. The goalpost is the same. We don't want to move the goalpost. But the problem is you don't get a necessarily feeling of progression because the game is the same length of time, meaning you personally are spending less time. So if it's an hour game, whether it's two players or four players, in a two-player game, you're getting 30 minutes of that hour. In a four-player game, you're only getting 15 minutes of that hour. So you only have 15 minutes of progression. So in that one, we wanted, you know, you're going to start a little bit stronger, but you won't finish as strong, obviously, because you only have half the amount of progression as you get in a two-player game, if you're kind of following that analogy. Yeah, I mean, I I hear what you're saying. I guess, you know, I don't, like, I want to be at level 10 no matter what player count I am, you know? I want to be at my most awesome, whether I'm playing, like, a big honking game with four people or whatever, or I'm playing, like, a lower, lower player count game. And I don't mind the play time. Like, if a, if a game is awesome, like, if a game just, like, really rocks, I don't, I, it doesn't... You know, like you guys were talking about playing until one, two thirty. I don't notice. It's only after <laughs> a couple of hours where it's like, oh, I'm everybody's asleep, and you know, I better not yell so loud or whatever it is. So I don't like. I don't mind. I don't mind the added time. I guess what I'm saying is, in terms of solving player scaling, that I wish that it was one of those things like you, like maybe it's the simultaneous play thing, or maybe it's the more coordination thing. But you know, I guess for me, I hope in terms, especially in terms of a game where you get better. You know, that's I think what we're talking about. Yeah. I want I would love to reach level ten in any player account. I would love to be at my most awesome. And is that is that that important? You know, because that also gets into the question of, okay, what is the awesome part of the game? Is the awesome part of the game winning, you know, the board state, yeah. or is the awesome part of the game being being powerful? You know, so maybe I'm kind of revealing a bias there. But if you know, winning the board state is more important to me when I'm not improving. Like, you know, and, and it's just me. But if I am improving, I get invested. And I just want to be the awesomest that I can be. It doesn't have to be like a selfish thing either. Like, I could be like a buff. Like, I just threw out 20 million buffs, you know, <laughs> and make everybody better. But I, but I did it at my maximum capacity. I, I, I hope I'm making sense there. Absolutely. Now, by the way, I, lest we miss a chance to criticize Lord of the Rings, the living card game... <laughs> You know, in in you advance of go. our uh, debate coming go. up someday. Uh, man, what a terrible, <laughs> like, abject failure in player balance that game is. Yes, um, that's true. You know, we're, we're talking about, like, people trying to do things good in one way or another. You know you know, it's a failure of player balance? Let's see. What does the Anduin mission do? When, when you spawn one hill troll... Regardless of how many players are there. So you have four players ganging up on a single huge enemy, or a solo player having to fight them by themselves. Or hey, let's go to uh, the Dol Guldur mission in uh, the third one, where they take away one-third of your hero capacity in a solo game, but one-twelfth in a four-player game. Yeah, that's balanced. Thank God with Arkham Horror, they actually like <laughs> realized, oh, things should have more or less life, depending on how many people can shoot at it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty simple concept, but Lord of the Rings, you didn't get it. Uh, sorry, let buddy. it go. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it, it, until this debate happens and I get all my all my like vitriol and ire out, you know, I just got to keep uh, keep bringing it up. So, I mean, I don't know that we were trying to find a conclusion here. We're not saying simultaneous play is the exact answer for everything. But I think it's important for designers to at least consider this 
when they are making a game? When I am scaling it up, how am I balancing it? And again, it works the other way too. So for example, in some of those missions we were talking about earlier, some things scaled and some didn't. And that can be fine if you do it correctly, but if you're not taking that into account at all when you're starting to do scaling, then I think that's a failure by the designer. So for me, that one mission I played, nothing scaled based on player count. The boss still scaled, the other stuff still scaled, but the mission itself didn't scale. And so because of that, I, I think you need to consider each part of your game and whether that scales well as well. And, and honestly, I think in the end, Jason's advice is probably the best thing for a designer. If your game is does not involve character progression as a major element, then it's okay to just straight up keep the game objective the same and just have players get fewer turns. Like Flashpoint Fire Rescue does that too. It's not like you have to rescue like 15 people when you're playing four player. It's always the same number of people. You always have to rescue the same number. And, you know, the difficulty isn't perfect. Like it might be a little easier one way or a little harder the other, but... I think gamers are pretty used to that, and if you, especially if you already have difficulty scaling in your game, they can deal with that on their own. Uh, but then, yeah, the, the other way around, like Jason said, if, uh, if your game is all about leveling up and all about scaling, you just might have to suck it up and have, you know, like Eldritch Horror, you play that like five or six player, you know, w- welcome to an eight-hour gaming event, you know? <laughs> and just, just be aware that that's what you're designing, and, and people might not want to play it unless they're playing solo or two-player, and that's, that's okay, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if so, if you're doing a larger player count game with player progression, put fun stuff in there, you know, yes. like put coordination, put the simultaneous play, put narrative, yep. you know, so like Eldritch Horror is fun because between everybody's turn, there's like this narrative and the narrative affects everybody and you have to like respond to it one way or the other. So like everybody has to look for their, you know, lost in time and space card or their dark pack card or something happens that affects the whole table. So like puts the awesome stuff in there or like take stuff out. Yes. <laughs> You know, like maybe certain things don't have to be there or... (laughs) Well, the way Eldritch does it is they just integrate the player turns more. So you get to do one move, one action, and then you're done, right? And then everybody does kind of a bad guy phase and everybody does whatever else. Mansions of Madness, the same thing. I think you get two actions on those turns. So games like that keep you invested because each individual turn is shorter. I guess Peter's what what Peter said is exactly right. Just think about it, and there's lots of level, little levers you can pull. Pull those levers, <laughs> figure out what works for your game, and just go from there. And and I'm sorry, there is one type of uh, player count thing that we didn't talk about, and we're pretty much done the debate. So I just want to bring it in quickly, and that is uh, games. Victory Point Games does this a lot, and it's why I hate the way that they do their uh, their player counts in games. And that's where you always play with the same number of characters. But you just divide them up mm. among players. So solo, you control everybody. Two-player, you each get two people. Three-player, you have something awkward. And four-player, you each get one person. That, that's probably my least favorite way to do it. Now, I, I am a, I'm, I, I do, I'm in the middle of a playthrough for Deep Madness. And for that one, I don't mind it much. But for, like, uh, Darkest Night is a victory point game. There's not enough to do with each player turn. So when I play that multiplayer and, like, I do almost nothing on my turn, then it's got to sit there and watch all the other players play and all this AI stuff happen. It's really, like, dumb. So I would say don't take that path <laughs> where you just always have the same player count because it seems like it's a great solution, right? Like, oh, I don't have to balance for different player counts. I just have one player count. But uh, be really careful with that if the turns are really quick for each player, 
because then when you really divide them up, you might get a completely unsatisfying experience, you know, and then just just man up and be like, all right, there's a solo game and that's it. (laughs) If that's what you're going to do, just be honest with yourself. I think that's where Brady is and Adam. They talk about like, you know, this is a great one and two player game. Three and four, we're going to really try hard, but this is a this is a low player count game, and they're cool with that. You know, they're twin brothers; they're going to play games with them, you know, amongst themselves, and <laughs> yeah. that, and they're going to have a great time. They have great, like, seem like they have a great time in those playthroughs and stuff. So yeah, I mean, it may be that you just kind of have to live with the fact that your game is more ideal at one or two, but at least try. <laughs> cool. Well, Jason, thanks for joining us. And where can people find you? You can find me at Every Night is Game Night Podcast. Uh, we are on the Dice Tower Network. Anthony, Chatfield, and I go back and forth about co-ops, about Euros, about solo games, about strategy and thematic games, all sorts of fun stuff. I'm also kind of, I appear on all sorts of like random YouTube stuff. And like, I think I mentioned last time, I have a top 100 co-op list uh, over on the Broken Meeple YouTube channel. Please go ahead and check that out. A Salvation Road is on that. Uh, so there you go, guys. Thank you. <laughs> You know, I hope to maybe do something more like that. So I'm I'm all over the place. So I'm and I definitely will not be a stranger. When you guys get pandemic uh, fall of Rome in there, I'm all over it. Oh yeah, I am interested in cool. that. Cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us, and we will see you in a couple weeks. Good gaming, everyone. Later, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Co-op Cast, your one stop for cooperative game news and reviews. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, check out Colin on his YouTube channel, One Stop Co-op Shop, and follow us on Facebook at One Stop Co-op Cast. Finally, join our Slack group by emailing us at MVP Board Games for continued discussion on these topics throughout the week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. I don't even remember how I start this thing. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Or do you say welcome to Co-Opcast? Yeah, that's what that's what I didn't remember. Wow. Isn't it in our, like, <laughs> tag or whatever? Like, wow. doesn't it already say, are... hey, welcome to Co-Opcast, a podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. where we discuss cooperative yeah, yeah. board games. All right, ready to go? You've done this about 35 times, and it's not habit by now? Uh, 50. It's, it's, it's been a little while. When's the last time we did a regular episode, like, with a game? Yeah. Oh, no, I guess we did, I never, we did Detective pretty recently. We just haven't aired it yet. <laughs> So, Jason, why don't you get into it as our guest with your number five? Oh, wait a minute. You guys do top fives? Oh, my God. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> what I'm do you kidding, have, I'm Jason? Kidding. <laughs> no. I was like, you piece of crap. You've been here before. <laughs> don't, don't. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm, I'm like imagining the look on Peter's face right now. He's like, oh, let's not invite this guy back. No, I actually knew you were joking because I know you listen to the episodes. So, <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. It's a little bit late and punchy, and I'm gonna have a good time. Know, um, and Street Fighters has entered Street my top Masters. ten as well. Oh, what did I say? Street Fighters. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, and st- double street masters, <laughs> double Tekken. <laughs> well, Jason, thanks for joining us. And where can people find you? Uh, I am at every night is game night dot com. Um, I, I wait, hold on. I'll do that again. You surprised me with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, I get to talk about myself. <laughs> Nobody ever asked at the end of the podcast, you know. <laughs> For you to to give where people can find you. I'm I'm glad I'm being innovative here. Hey, guys. 
finish him. <laughs> I thought you might go with like a Last Dragon reference, man. Come on. Hey, everybody. That's the official end of the podcast, but we had about six minutes of pre-podcast nonsense featuring a lot of karaoke talk and some other things. So if you want to hear it, here it is. So yeah, karaoke. I do Billy Joel pretty frequently. 80s, 80s pop stuff. Honestly, I'll just look. Uh, I do uh, I do some like Motown stuff. Smoke gets in your eyes. Uh, yeah, classics. Sam Cooke, you know, like that kind of thing. I don't know. I just, mm-hmm. I, whatever, whatever strikes me in the book or the menu yeah, or sure. whatever they have. How about you? What do you, what do you like to do? Oh, dude, I have, I have a, there's a small pantheon of stuff. I have to make sure it's there before I even deign to <laughs> approach the mic. <laughs> this karaoke is not worthy of me. For no, I mean, well, they, they usually have it. So it's a, it's a couple of them. It's Prince, When Doves Cry. Have nice. Have it. That's a great one. Or kiss, kiss. They don't have kiss or when doves cry. That that's a that's, that's pretty ridiculous. Sad. <laughs> yeah, I, I have like there was. I went to this one karaoke bar. It had um like the entire discography of Halloween. I don't know if you know who Halloween is, but they didn't have like this obvious stuff. It's like what is going on here? Uh, what else? Jeez, uh, you put me on a spot here, man. Hey, man, you, you put yourself on the spot. You asked me the same question. <laughs> My hero is a good one. Uh, Foo Fighters. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. Uh, Love Shack. If I have a lady, nice. You, you know, uh, just do both parts yourself, or all three parts. Or yourself, I could do. I oh, say. I could do both parts myself. I, it depends on the state of the game. I will. Uh, towards the end, though. Oh, actually, I went karaoke with a couple of Dice Tower folks at PAX last year, and some dudes from Yellow came in. I don't know if you've interacted with Yellow. Nah. And it was like crazy because they can. They all of them suck. They can sing at all. But like we we started um, more than words by extreme. Yeah. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. We were all like we were hugging each other. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's funny that, that, that one I actually taught myself on guitar. So I don't. Oh, I don't, nice. I don't ever do that at karaoke. I just like sing that normal. Oh really? Oh yeah. man, that's so that's so good. Just like you know, everybody hugging each other. <laughs> I hug myself. <laughs> <laughs> See, piano man's my go-to for group. Sing. Ah, uh, there we go. That's a good one. Sing us a song. You're the piano man. Sing us a song to. I think I sang "Innocent Man," which is also Billy Joel, on my first uh, date yeah. with my wife. Oh, here we go. <laughs> and then, uh, oh baby. And then we sang "I've Had the Time of My Life" from "Dirty Dancing" as a duet. You know, just to, just to seal the deal, make sure we're going to get married. You know, on the first date, basically. Oh, nice. That is a good one. My buddy Larry and I always do uh, Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Oh, oh there it is. The whole thing? <laughs> yes, and we alternate male and female depending on our That's mood. That's pretty awesome, man. That's a good song. Well, you have to understand, my friend Larry is six foot three, six foot four, two 270, 80 pounds probably. So, oh. so he's meatloaf and you're the lady, right? <laughs> I mean, it depends on the day. It- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has much more of a meatloaf build from your description. Yes, yes, yeah. He's a is big. He looks like six foot three or six foot four or something. Or am I am I wrong on that? I got I got to look that up. We're interneting already. Ain't no doubt about it. That's that's the one, right? Yep. Because you were only seventeen and we were barely dressed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a tough song, isn't it? It's like some really fast parts. All right, come on. I don't want to see meatballs. I want to see meatball the singer. <laughs> Uh, it's oh, meat, wait, it's not meat meatloaf. Loaf. It's meatloaf. Yeah. Meat meatballs. <laughs> nice. Don't put that in the podcast. Oh, yeah, that's nice. going in for sure. 
do they have like heights of people? Why would they? I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Well, that's unfortunate. Or yeah, I bet if you Google how tall is meatloaf. Yeah, yeah, good call. Good call. Although it might be like six inches. <laughs> if it's actual meatloaf, he's only five ten. So ignore everything I said. Well, he's wide. Yes. Well, he's definitely wide. Ooh, ooh. Hey, they, they provided some other heights for me. He is he is one inch taller than Cher. Oh. So Cher is tall. Wow. And he's he's seven inches taller than Bonnie Tyler, who sang uh, mm. "Total Eclipse of the Heart." So <laughs> there you go. That that is a rock band special right there. Hey, uh, by the way, website celebheights.com. All heights of celebrities. Yeah, well, they probably crowdsourced that one. I mean, there's, there's thousands of people that have, have a little bit of nothing to do. Yeah, yeah, no, that's <laughs> a good point. Contribute. It's much better than one person having no life. Yes. <laughs> All right, Mike, you got the rules tonight, by the way? The rules for what game? <laughs> Are you kidding, right? The Arkham Horror, the card no, game, I'm we're doing a good debate. It's fine. Arkham Horror? <laughs> That'd be great. We just, we just held the debate without Colin and Steve. And I forget, like, what's you, happening? You, you prefer Arkham as well, Jason? Is that right? That's, I don't, neither. Are you kidding oh, me? You don't like either of them? I, I, I like them fine. I just don't, I like my money. <laughs> what the oh, yeah, yeah, is, sure, yeah. sure. So, so you, you'd be the wild card in the debate. Pretty <laughs> you'd be much. like, y'all are idiots. <laughs> well, they are definitely both expensive. No question about it. Not for you, Peter. How much have you spent on Arkham Horror? Zero dollars. That's why I prefer it. I think uh, at last count, it is over $2,000 to get the entire Lord of the Rings everything. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, Arkham's not that bad yet, but it's expensive. It will be. It's getting there. It's getting there. Well, the good thing is, at this point, I'm getting we're getting sent games more often. So I'm like, oh, nice. don't, I don't have time to buy games. <laughs> like, I can't buy games to play them. I just play the games we get sent, so... You're not getting Arkham Horror. Let me just tell you that right now. <laughs> no, 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 I know that. But what I mean They're is, they're not I'm, sending that. I, I, I'm saving my money on other games so I could just spend it on Arkham Horror ah, and expand and uh, accoutrements. Yep. 